Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And on the phone with us today on our 100th episode is Tapanjan Chatterjee, Vice President, Principal Analyst at Forrester, to discuss the changing nature of the CMO role. Welcome, Tapanjan. Hi, Victor. Hi, Jen. Great to be here. So, Tapanjan, you're back from CES, and some discussions were had about sort of the future of marketing and the CMO. What did you leave with? What was the big idea? You know, I left with the vision of a very large robot that is exceptionally competent at playing table tennis. <laughs> wow. um, and, you know, in uh, the part of the world that I come from, we don't call it ping pong. It's fairly serious business and it's an Olympic sport. And I think uh, the world of technology has finally mastered that. Um, <laughs> but that aside, Victor, um, you know, CES is the world's largest technology show, um, but not anymore. And I say not anymore because of its size. Um, it's really become more of a brand show, or at least I should say a brand show in addition to being a technology show. You know, what was remarkable for me, and if I may add, this was my first time at CES. Um, it was also the first time for a whole bunch of brands. You had brands like P&G who showed up for the first time to exhibit at CES. You had brands like John Deere. So what you've seen is a shift in what CES is. It's, it's no longer just a tech show, but it's a show for brands to exhibit how technology intersects with the experiences that they create. Yeah, I think there's been this longstanding conversation typically rooted in MarTech, that the CMO and marketing needs to embrace technology. But I, I think your point is larger and more ambitious, which is is that marketing and technology are now dancing in terms of the definition and the way we animate brands. I agree. I think uh, the entire MarTech conversation uh, up until now has been an inside-out conversation. So it's how you utilize technology uh, to be more effective as a marketer. The conversation that we are having now is more of an outside-in conversation about technology. And what that essentially means is that, look, we as consumers, um, we are still doing old-fashioned things. Uh, you know, we go out and do our groceries, we do our laundry, we go get coffee and so on and so forth. We play ping pong. We play ping pong. Uh, and we are doing all of these these very old-fashioned things in very newfangled ways, right? Um, the way I could get coffee now could be through going on my Starbucks app and going through a million permutations of that perfect latte, or I could just turn to my Google Home device and essentially ask it to you know, order me my usual drink at my usual location, and I'll just drive over when it's ready, right? So the simple act of grabbing a cup of coffee has so much technology and so much digital infused into it. I think marketers uh, and CMOs are coming uh, in a face-to-face with the reality that digital and technology has transformed the consumer experience. So they must think of technology not just as an enabler of their operations, but really a, a, a pivot of how, in how consumers interact with their brands. And, and that's just a much more comprehensive shift in approach. It does strike me that as brands are built 
and Amplified or there's campaigns, it's a, it's, it can be considered sort of a top-down thing, which is I define the brand, I define out what I want the brand to stand for, what the campaign to do, and I then send that through the respective channels, all sort of having some harmony associated with it. And I think your, your frame of reference is almost bottom-up, which is the customer is going to choose these points of intersection and how they do it. And now we have to sort of look at all the micro of all of that, all the different engagements we would have with Alexa, how we think of the way intelligence gets manifested in a toothbrush or a razor. I mean, just the, the extent and the micro of it all has to change the way we think of the construction and sort of distribution of brand. That's absolutely true. You know, um, the top-down autocratic branding model has gone the way of the dinosaur. And at Forrester, we talk about the age of the customer. And what the age of the customer has done is it's provided power quite literally at the fingertips of the consumers, right? So we get to set the tone on what brand perception is. We get to disseminate that message. Uh, and, and it disseminates at a rapid rate and really sets the trend for how people think about that brand, right? So it's no longer uh, the, the CMO sitting in his or her you know, office conjuring up a message of how the brand should be perceived and then pushing it down. It really is much more like you said, a bottom-up democratic process in how the brand is perceived. How does voice play in that brand experience? It's been crazy how quickly we have embedded that into our day-to-day lives. And I'm talking like my two-year-old embedding that into her day-to-day life. So I assume that that was a pretty hot topic at, at CES. But just in general, what you're referring to here is that technology and brand experience just being so interwoven. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best way to understand how voice plays a role is to see it in the context of a framework of how brands get built. Now at Forrester, we'd like to talk about this idea of brand energy. And I've written quite a few reports on the topic, but at a very high level, there are three things that drive the energy for brand. Salience, fit, and emotion. You can think of voice along all of these three dimensions of a brand's energy. So think about how a brand becomes salient. We just used the example of a CMO uh, creating a campaign and distributing that message across to the masses. So people are aware of the brand, they have easy recall and so on and so forth. The way that we discover brand stuff has changed quite a bit. You know, very often we will turn to our voice devices and solicit information. For example, you could turn to your voice device and say, hey, uh, you know, I spilled some red wine on my white shirt, what should I do? Um, And uh, Amazon, for example, through Alexa, will give you suggestions from Tide, right? So there's a way that you discover Tide through the voice interface. You could go in and uh, talk to Progressive on the Google Home application and learn more about insurance. So through the mechanism of voice, marketers can create the opportunity to make their brands more salient. But I'm going to jump in here for a second because it yeah. strikes me about your example of Tide is actually a, the, the concept of presence or absence, which is, so let's say I do spill red wine on my white shirt and I ask Alexa, hey, how do I resolve this? And you, as your example suggests, you get a suggestion from Tide. 
but I don't get a suggestion from Clorox. And yet I'd wanted a suggestion from Clorox. So now the brand has to imagine that that would happen and pre-position something or get some skill in place with Alexa in this example. Correct. And I think uh, it also highlights uh, the significant role that these voice platforms are playing um, as a curation device uh, and essentially brings it down to another form of channel strategy for the brands, right? In the traditional sense, you thought of channel strategy as perhaps shelf space. You know, you showed up at the retail store and, you know, manufacturers fought tooth and nail to get their products on the shelves at eye level. Something very similar is happening with voice, right? Um, you need to work with these channels to be tied in that example, to position your brand front and center so that when a consumer turns to the digital assistant um, with a question, in response, he or she gets back something that is branded tied, right? So it's part of the marketing strategy to highlight the brand through this new and emerging channel. At the CES, did they go through this item um, to Panjanet said, hey, part of our brand is to be present on it and we wish our brand to have these characteristics. In other words, they're going to coach Alexa to have certain characteristics as it relates to, in this case, Tide or Clorox. How far along were they thinking in terms of these digital assistants? So what you did see at CES is that uh, the connectivity with digital assistants, and this is primarily with Alexa, and with Google Home, and you see to some extent with Apple and Apple's HomeKit, the connectivity is all pervasive. Um, so most of, um, let's say, the smart home devices that were on display can all be triggered using one of these, one or multiple of these voice assistants. Now, not a whole lot of work has been done in really maximizing the value of these voice assistants, CES and otherwise. Um, you know, I think the implementations that exist today are still fairly clunky. It isn't quite the way a natural conversation flows. Mm. So my example where if you complain to Alexa that you've dropped something on your clothes, um, that you know, tight pops up and responds, that's essentially called auto-invocation, right? So I never asked Alexa, hey, uh, can you have tight come and respond to some questions? Alexa was smart enough to say, hey, if I got a spill on my shirt, tight can probably help me. That is an exception rather than the norm. Right? So we're still quite far away from the point where you can have a seamless, intelligent conversation with these digital assistants. I think brands that can truly bridge those seams are the ones that will have the advantage um, in creating customer experiences that really are seamless and make sense for the customer. So I, I didn't see that at CES. I have seen that broadly, but I think as the technology wrinkles get ironed out, uh, as language recognition and the you know gets better and better and error rates keep on falling, um, I think we'd be there. So it's not that we can't overcome the hurdle, we will. I think brands need to look ahead and go beyond a very base level 
of voice connectivity to see how else they can truly add value. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of concept because it is both very futuristic, which is I'm now being placed on a, a new platform doing a new thing. It's also very basic, which is the ultimate you know goal of brands is to be there at the point of need and to provide value at that point of need. In this, in this case, what's beautiful about it is the consumers generating a need very specific to them in that moment. I mean, this is, so it seems like part of what's happening is that we're, we're, we're taking the basics that have always been true and portraying them in new, new ways as the consumer, at your point, adopts, gets used to, and then masters this whole suite of new technologies and practices. Victor, I'll tell you what's even more basic. Voice is the original operating system, right? So in being futuristic, we have returned to the way we originally operated. So, you know, when we had devices and devices came with, you know, keyboards and screens, um, you know, we've had to sort of tap on them and poke at them and swipe them. That is not natural behavior on our part. Our natural behavior is to speak. So we are reverting back to our original and our preferred methods of communication, excepting now we are communicating um, vocally with machines. So it, it's a, it has a very intuitive feel to it. Um, we are at two different points of time. We are more ready than the devices are. So we have to give the devices a little bit of time to catch up. Um, but then I think what is futuristic um, will be a very intuitive form of communication. So Tapanjan, staying with that futuristic theme for a second, P&G has released the Opt1. to sort of microprint serum on skin. So this is a new technology for them. It, you know, even in the best cases, it won't work perfectly all the time. So how do the brands balance consumer expectations or a consumer disappointment with brands attempting new things in new ways, how was your sense of consumers forgiving them because at least they're trying kind of thing? So I think first off, I don't think brands should let the fear of failure get in the way. Uh, they are operating in uncharted territories uh, and because they are and because consumers recognize that brands are out there, um, their forgiveness levels are high. They they do want to see innovation. I mean, particularly if you look at a lot of categories that PNG plays in, um, you know, the health and beauty products. Uh, essentially, the example that you used of this Opto wand is uh, very simply stated: you're applying cream to your face. That's as basic as that, right? Um, now, PNG has at its disposal the technology and the smarts to be able to do that very well. It you know, uses a, a host of sort of computer vision technologies and inkjet, microjet printing, microfluid technologies uh, to be able to pinpoint exactly where on your skin the most help is needed, right? Um, I think consumers recognize that even if it doesn't live up up to its grand promise, it still is going to be an improvement over what it is today. Uh, and in some sense, I think there's a novelty factor to it, right? Um, uh, people relish this idea of, you know, more intelligence being 
being put in play uh, to serve their interests. Um, so there's a certain amount of curiosity associated with it. Now, of course, you know, if this whole thing backfires and as a result of, you know, the AI algorithms, the consumer breaks out in massive pimples, uh, I am sure they're not going to be very forgiving. Uh, but in general, I think uh, there's a taste for innovation uh, and consumers are really looking for brands to be more progressive in adopting these technologies and finding new ways to, be, to help the consumer. In your mind, does that change the way that brands engage with consumers? You, know, you hear the different trials and tribulations of loyalty programs, whether they're successful or not. You hear about beta programs, but this is even larger than that. This is sort of creating a participatory sport with the consumer saying, hey, I'm trying these things. Will you participate with me? both to teach me what works, what doesn't work, but also once to a certain point to be an evangelist in the marketplace so that I'm somewhat forgiven because you're sort of with me along the way. Does it change the way they think of embracing consumers? Or can I jump in there, Dipanjan, maybe even putting a point on it? Were brands like P&G at CES using CES as a testing ground for some of these new technologically advanced things that they were doing? Yeah, absolutely. So let me get both of them. So in order for brands to put themselves in a position where they can be forgiven for missteps, they need to accumulate a certain kind of equity, right? So again, this is the idea of brand equity, which in uh, Forrester language I've called brand energy. And essentially what the brands do is they bank goodwill. And they are seen favorably in the eyes of the customers. And customers will then give them enough rope and say, you know what? I trust you. I believe in you. I know you're on my side. I know you'll do good things. Now, in order to do nine things that are great, you might have one slip up. And because in my eyes, I have a favorable perception of you as a brand, I'll let you slip up that one time, right? So... I don't think we can make a blanket statement that every brand has the permission to make mistakes. I think brands need to build up a certain amount of equity in order to have the permission to do it. And once they do, particularly in this kind of democratic, decentralized marketplace where information moves rapidly, I think there are many appropriate environments where you can have these fail-fast sort of tests. You put it out, it doesn't work, you put it back, maybe you improve it and put it out or you put out something else altogether. But you've set up a system where people see you as being innovative and daring, but also flexible in responding to your customers' needs. But I think one of the things that you're saying is both based upon your own thinking and what you learn from CES is that brands need to participate in this new technology march, that there's an expectation consumers have and there's an invention thing where consumers would invent new ways to engage that brands simply have to anticipate, that you can't not be there kind of thing. Correct. So brands definitely, um, you know, in this age of the customer in this age of technology where most brand experiences are manifested through some kind of digital format 
there is an expectation that brands need to play in the technology space. You know, there really isn't a brand today that isn't in some way, shape or form a technology brand. Now, that works very well for the sorts of brands that we call digital born or digital first. It poses a little bit of a problem to the more legacy brands, particularly the ones that uh, you know, are perceived as being more inert or even organizationally um, are less likely to be able to move quickly and be innovative. What a show like CES does is provide an opportunity for some of these legacy players to really come out and make a big push to acquire new technology. And when I say acquire, I don't quite literally mean buy it, but put them in a space where they open themselves up to partnerships, they open themselves up to entrepreneurs and new ideas and different ways of doing business. PNG, for example, has something called PNG Ventures, um, and they use that instrument to create partnerships with entrepreneurs. Uh, at this CES, they have exhibited several products that resulted from these partnerships. They are conducting Shark Tank-like competitions at CES uh, to stimulate new ideas. And they're doing all of this um, also so that their brand becomes synonymous with innovation and becomes synonymous with technology. So when you think of PNG, whether you are a customer, a partner, an investor, an employee, or maybe someone who at some day is hoping to work at PNG, you think of them as a technology company. And in this day and age, that's a very positive attribute for a brand to have. That is something that they want to wear proudly as a badge of honor. Uh, in their company's DNA. And in CES, Dupongin, was there a concept that millennials as the current sort of dominant segment has some technology skills learning along the way, but the Gen Z that follow simply are technology rooted, they're technology native. So you have to be there before they get there with wealth and with economic power. Is there Was there some concept of there's a, there's a rush on to get in front of this generational s- switch going on? You know, my sense was that um, the ubiquity of technologies like voice being attached to the most simplest of daily devices, you know, every little piece of technology that we touch uh, in the kitchen, in our cars, in our homes, um, a sort of an inextricability of technology from the way we live our lives tells me that we are now positioned for generations that grow up with this technology. This technology is not something separate uh, that they need to connect up with the rest of their lives. It is part and parcel of their lives. So you saw some of that come through in the way, for example, brands like Kohler and Moan, Um, showcase what they're doing in the bathrooms and in the kitchens. Um, Everything is connected. Everything is digital. Um, Everything is intelligent and everything gives you feedback on how much water you're using. Everything is activated by voice, right? So the whole environment has been created for someone who's grown up with digital technology to step into it, 
and be perfectly at ease. So Dipanjan, I want to turn our attention to one of my favorite topics, robots. So where did robots come into the mix here at CES or broadly with, with brands? So Victor, robots are everywhere. Um, you know, you That's see my fear. Little, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they come in all shapes and sizes. You see cute little robots and you pat them on their head and they will purr and they make great pets. Um, you know, you will see other robots that are, you know, designed more for a healthcare setting uh, and they help the elderly take their pills and so on. So they serve very specific purposes. Um, there are also robots. And, and, you know, when we see robots, we naturally tend to think of some kind of human representation, but there are versions of bots that don't have that. So, for example, Pepsi uh, is piloting something uh, in uh, in a university, uh, which is essentially it's a snack bot, and it's a cart that has snack food in it, which can be summoned by students through an iOS app. Right. So, you know, you are seeing robots of every variety, and, and you've seen this for a few years now. I do think we are getting close to a turning point. And, and, and I think that for a few different reasons. Um, I saw uh, robots at, uh, with brands like LG, that brands like LG and Samsung had developed, and they've put quite a bit of investment in it. Neither is out in market, but they have been developed for very specific applications. So, for example, there's a robot that's built in with a shopping cart. And you can imagine as you're, you know, walking along the aisles of, uh, you know, Target or Nordstrom, uh, can this sort of robot walks along with you to aid the shopping process. Um, there are other robots that are built to you know, help store employees, and they have shelves in them to suit more of a retail setting. There are also robots that are actually being deployed um, today. So SoftBank, uh, their robot, which probably is the most uh, well-known of the bunch, it's called Pepper, uh, is being used in Manhattan at uh, HSBC retail branches. Right? So folks can you know, walk up to Pepper and have kind of conversations about different credit card products and bank accounts and so on and so forth. In all of these examples, it's, there seems to be like two pieces of the puzzle. The first one says, does the instantiation of the robot reflect the brand? And does the behavior of the robot reflect the brand? So like, how did you get there? Like, th- those, are, those are interesting design considerations. And I, I think we are nowhere close um, to uh, tackling design considerations and brand, and brand alignment uh, with robots. Um, I, I think we're still trying to figure out what the best application of the robots would be in a brand experience setting. I think, to your point, though, that we will have to answer all of those questions before uh, this technology can serve to be a meaningful brand experience. I mean, again, if, if you go back to the basics of branding, every form in which you deliver the brand through a touch point must ooze the essence of the brand, right? That's, you understand what your brand's personality is, you understand what your brand's tone is, and then through every touch point, you deliver that consistently. With robots, we are at the point of figuring out what is this touch point even going to look like? 
what is going to be the wingspan of what this robot delivers? Uh, what's the level of comfort that customers will have with these robots? We will have to tackle questions about how the brand translates through a robot, but I think we are still a ways away from addressing them. We still have to sort out the role of the robot in the brand experience. So what does a CMO do to take their, whether they're a digital native or their traditional firm, to take their firm and their brand into this dynamic digital age? Victor, I think if you walk around the CES show floors, uh, you just cannot avoid this uh, sense of being overwhelmed by how pervasive technology is in the brand experience. And I think we've reached a point of time where the CMO needs to look at the basics of brand building through the lens of a digitally infused brand experience. So if you go back to trying to, um, to focus on what it is that really creates strength and energy with the brand, how do you make more people aware of your brand? How do you get them to consider you? How do you engage with them and build a meaningful relationship? You now have to think how you can harness the power of digital to do all of that. You have an entirely new toolkit at your disposal. How do you bring voice into play? How does augmented reality and virtual reality fit into it? Can you effectively utilize robots, maybe if not today, five, seven years from now, to heighten your brand experience? So the, the mandate for the CMO here and for brands is to understand how they can empower their brands by utilizing the best digital experiences that they can harness. Dupanjan, thank you so much for joining us on our 100th episode. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. The most progressive brands are redesigning the customer experience for the new hyper-connected customer and prioritizing innovation to target consumers. Join Forrester's analysts and over 500 marketing leaders at Consumer Marketing in New York this spring to hear the trends and challenges that you will face in the coming year. For more information and to reserve your seat, visit forcom slash CM2019. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash C-M 2019. Thanks for listening.